Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For all the latest cricket betting markets, in-play odds and promotions, visit WilliamHill.com or download the free app. 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill. It's who you play with. Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. My name is Giles Mupp and I am joined by 95 mile an hour Ashes World Cup winning Bast Fowler, Wark Mood. Hello. Well, do you know what? That's probably the most disastrous intro we've recorded and for that reason we are keeping it. It deserves to be on the record. Uh, how are you, Mark? I'm alright, how are you? I'm alright, just back from uh, a brisk walk, Mark. Oh, power walk or stroll? No, no, specifically a brisk walk. Uh, there's an app that my uh, wife suggested I downloaded, not sure why, uh, that ensures that you um, that your movement, that you do enough brisk minutes, essentially. It's an NHS app. It's, not, it's no good just sort of plodding about, uh, you know, sort of getting 10,000 meaningless steps in as you sort of pot around between the sofa and the toilet and the and the landline or whatever you actually when you're walking you're going at a pace and um it's like all of these sort of fitness apps it is initially very addictive why have i got this thought in my head that you're doing the walk and how i do my my run-up and sort of pigeon toed steps you're just marking the steps out yeah that's how i do it yeah as if i uh, brisk walk yeah a walk back to the mark basically if instead of walking stopping at your mark you just carried on going with slightly odd long steps past the sight screen out through wherever you were uh, yeah, that's what I look like. And like you, I have an incredibly, despite having a reputation for being a bit of a laugh sometimes, uh, which is as much a curse as it is a blessing, thankfully. Um, <laughs> I uh, very serious face on, very serious face on. Uh, but you've got to be, you've got to be walking enough to be sort of slightly out of breath. Now I imagine the pace at which I get out of breath. I'm a 42 year old normal man. You're an elite international athlete. Um, I don't know if they would register as brisk minutes for you, obviously, because and, you're. And, and do you have a song playing? Is it like rising up? Da, da. Is, is that why you look so stern in the face, or is that what, what's going on in your head? Uh, what is going on in my head? Well, today I was I was with my wife, so we 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 were talking, and I was focused on the uh, the topics of our conversations. Um, and what was the to- what was the what was the biggest topic? Well, to be honest, we need to find a way to make uh, and write in if you've got. A suggestion it's really an effective way of uh, not losing quite so much um heat through the loft mm. do you remember do you remember topics we're speaking about topics remember topics they used to be the bar the chocolate bar mm. yeah we could you think i could you think i could use They've those gone, uh, you never find them anymore and they're tiny but everything everything's got smaller hasn't it that is, yeah but is that it's related only very loosely i was unless you're suggesting that i i use or perhaps you're accusing me of buying up all the remaining topics and stacking them up as a sort of insulation uh, anyway i've come up with a solution mark don't need to do anything fancy it's just a curtain that's all it's going to be it's just going to be a curtain it's just a matter of working out where to put it so that was time well spent to be perfectly honest the live at the apollo or you've pinched it i think it's a sort of star cloth is it when you do apollo oh no it's the big letters that say apollo on them don't they 
Yeah, that's right. Have you been on? Uh, believe it or not, I've never done stand-up comedy. Oh, right. Well, believe it or not, I've never played cricket for England, but I know a little bit about it, Mark. <laughs> I, know what's behind, I know what's behind people when they're doing it. It's a delighted and gratified crowd. So, yeah, that's that's partly what we were talking about on our walk. So do you know how we've, we've talked about the dressing room and stuff and what goes on? What goes on behind the curtain? Well... I, I don't think I've done Live at the Apollo for something, I think about 2015 I did it, and i tell you exactly what happened, which is that the, the person that was... Play the, the person who was comparing, they get booked for 25 minutes, so the stage manager or floor manager says, right, he's doing he's going to do 25, so he'll either do 12 and a half minutes and bring you on, or he'll do the whole 25 in a one But you need to be ready at the 12 and a half minute mark. And so I said, that's absolutely fine. And they take you behind where the big Apollo letters are. And on the floor, like a, like a sort of, what do you call it, uh, gallows, there is, a, there is a white square on the floor. That you, that's where you need to be standing when the uh, Apollo sign... So it's like the crease. Yeah, it, li- it lifts up, right? You've got to stand there and you've got to be pointing forward because, and, and just walk. Because what happens is the sign comes up and then they smoke billows. So you've absolutely got to just walk in a straight line and trust it. Mm. So I went and stood in that very small white square at the 12-minute mark, something like that. And then the person comparing um, proceeded to stay on stage until he'd done 45 minutes in total before introducing me. And I spent half an hour standing in that little square absolutely doing my best nut to be honest i was like what is he doing out there it sort of sounds like the rest of our batters when rudy goes to bat. yeah exactly you're like how, how long honestly how long does anyone need to bat for you're thinking this is <laughs> this is just relentless were you doing any shadow batting in the square or while you were waiting i think i was i was just sort of nervously pacing up and down but presumably i was thinking this is this is absolutely ridiculous and of course suddenly he wraps up and, and, and you're out there and the thing goes up and you're there they're like like you going out in the super over you think actually what oh, what is it i meant to do i'm going to walk in a straight line and then you walk in a straight line and you think was i facing the right way so you walk out there in a state of absolute confusion and the smoke cleared and luckily i was facing the right way which is to do towards the audience and, and then d- you... and did you have all of your weights on or, or were you forgetting your box again like in the dream like in the fever dream i would have been wearing really really fabulous clothes and i'll tell you why they were fabulous it was because i would have asked somebody else to buy them for me because i yeah tonight matthew i'm gonna be uh <laughs> tonight matthew i'm going to arrive in a state of sort of heightened anxiety <laughs> uh muttering about somebody else ho- hogging the laughs um but no it was it was god it was a terrible panic well before before you come on are you wanting them to like do really well so the crowd are already warmed up or you want it to be terrible so you can like are you want so basically i'm where i'm if i can refer to cricket are you wanting them to have kept it tight and then you come on and you get like a couple of wickets because they've kept it tight, or you want them to have gone for a couple of fours. You come on and you, you look like a genius. No, you you want them. Or my my feeling is I want them to do well because I want there to be a good atmosphere in the room. And but yeah, you want them to keep it tight as well, as in like do the amount of time they've been specifically asked to do, so that you're not <laughs> having an incredible anxiety attack on what is already quite a high pressure evening. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go very quickly through the mailbag, Mark. Best and worst matches uh, in the crowd. This is Rich Nichols. Uh, had the best moment watching England catching Sam Curran in the crowd in Sri Lanka. Then the worst was dropping Jason Holder in Barbados. I'm always amazed that people take catches in the crowd. I think that's an astonishing achievement. I know I've thought this actually as professionals. When the ball gets hit towards us, a lot of the time we, we just move out the way. Actually, you don't do that in the field. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, the crowd, they're all over it. It's extraordinary. And they've hit it further. It's a more difficult... By, surely, it's a more difficult catch by the time it's passed over the boundary. And there's hands coming out in front of you and people jumping out the way. I mean, astonishing, really. And you're absolutely hammered. Um, this is from Rupert Carlton Jones. First of all, glad to see you guys are still using Hotmail as well. Um, is that what we... Have we got a Hotmail address? Yes, must be. Um... Listening in, I thought at the time I was out in Sri Lanka in 2007, I went with my father-in-law to the Pakasothi Saravanamotu Stadium in Colombo, have I said that right? Uh, to watch Sri Lanka versus Bangladesh. As one of only two Westerners in the crowd, Percy, head cheerleader for Sri Lanka, gave me a massive flag to wave and walk around the rope with him as Sangakara scored a double hundred. As I walked round, a swarm of schoolchildren started asking me for autographs. I obviously declined, however, as the crowd became insistent, Percy told me just to sign them. I autographed dozens of papers, shirts and hats. I've always felt a slight pang of guilt that there are now a load of Sri Lankan men and women who thought they had perhaps Andrew Strauss's autograph, but actually had the school of a junior doctor from West London. (laughs) (laughs) Keep up the good work. Well, you know, you may may go on to cure, you know, any number of... uh, 
upsetting diseases. It sounds to me like a pretty important job. He was given flag bearer. I mean, if that's not worth it, uh, not, I don't know what is. I think oh, I, th- I think being a doctor is more important than being a flag bearer myself, Mark. But no, I can see <laughs> it's all about perspective, isn't it? Couldn't tell he was a doctor from out there in the middle. I can see it's the ones waving the flags. They're the ones that cheer me up. Um, oh, now, would you believe it? Uh, we, you know, we went fly fishing. Guess what we've landed? It is... A letter about Cilla Black. Uh, this is in Wilson Home. Uh, my mum went to school with Cilla Black. A year after they left, in about 1958 or 9, my mum was at a bus stop. A friend came past and said, Priscilla White has changed her name to Cilla Black and she's recording a song. I'm writing in because I really want someone who hasn't listened to the episode with Kate Cross to hear this and wonder what... <laughs> and wonder what the hell's going on. <laughs> I discovered a Cilla Black fact this week and I can't remember what it is. Uh, not a fact, it was a connection. I think the person who edits our local paper is her niece or something. Anyway, I'll have to polish that anecdote up before it's ready for a podcast. Of... <laughs> <laughs> she lucky number three or what? Lucky number three. I'm off for lucky number three. What the hell does that mean? Umpiring story from Adam Plater. Hi, Mark and Miles. I've got an umpiring story for you. Uh, it wasn't me, but it was my grandpa umpiring in a game I was playing in and could be the shortest known stint. My grandpa's a huge cricket fan and went to all of Kent's home games in the years prior to the pandemic. Four-day games, of course. Never T20, as he claims this is nonsense. He's in his 80s. He tries to come and watch me play a couple of times a year when we're playing close by, and he did this one day. It was a friendly game between my club, Allenwood Barrett and Gloucestershire, and my dad's work team. I thought it would be a good idea to get him involved instead of sitting around watching all the time, so I asked him to umpire, to which he duly agreed. His first over was from the bowler's end, and it didn't go too badly, with no decisions to make. He did count a seven-ball over, however, which should have been the first sign of things to come. <laughs> the next over, he moved to square leg, and three balls in, the batsman attempted to run two. We knew they were struggling to make it pretty early on. The ball was thrown in, and the keeper took off the bales. For us in the pavilion, we could see he was at least three yards out, and the next batsman proceeded to put on his gloves and grab his bat. To everyone's shock, my grandpa loudly gave the call of not out. When questioned, he confidently answered that he made his ground, to the utter amusement of everyone. After a few calls of cheating and some unhappy players, the batsman, knowing it was so evident, just turned round and walked off. At the end of this over, he was relieved of umpiring duties <laughs> and hasn't done it since. It's an embarrassing memory that I will never forget, but I am glad happened. Absolutely beautiful. That's good, isn't it, if you can sort of register a certain degree of incompetence as a way of getting out or something. Uh, yeah, fine, I'll load the dishwasher. Smash. Oh, I tell you what. Yeah. Um, service station sighting. Patrick Greenfield. Firstly, new to the podcast, you had me in stitches listening to the Richard Osman episode and the Angus Fraser Derek Pringle tale. The laughter as Miles tell the story would really bring a smile to my face on the darkest of days. I look forward to catching up on the rest. Uh, I still laugh at that story. Uh, Listening to the Angus story took me back to the days of my youth when me and a few mates would follow Warwickshire around the country. The team, presumably, rather than the county, which has always remained steadfastly in the same place. We had so many great days out, but I'll take you back to 1997, uh, when Mark would have been four years old, is that right? We watched Warwickshire beat Middlesex at Edgebaston in an AXA Life League match. Afterwards, we stopped off at a McDonald's, and who should turn up but a quartet of Middlesex players, including Angus Fraser and Mark Ramprakash. In our foolish youth, oh no, my mate Joe thought it would be funny to inform Angus that they didn't... In my, in our foolish youth, my mate Joe thought it would be funny to inform Angus that they didn't serve pies, like he had earlier on in the afternoon. Eight overs, not for sixty, no maidens. Angus didn't take this too well and told him to piss off, as Mark <laughs> Ramprakash was struggling not to start laughing. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, we left them to it and ate our food. We all departed about the same time and Joe decided his luck one more time and asked Gus if he'd enjoyed his duck burger. Earlier on, Alan Donald had sent his wickets cartwheeling second ball for naught. <laughs> this really did leave Ramps and the other two players struggling to not fall about laughing, but Angus wasn't amused and a torrent of colourful language followed with a question of how many f***ing England caps do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, leaving it. Finally, leaning out the window and giving us a time-honoured salute as they drove off. <laughs> oh dear. Well, look, we all we all have bad days. Hi, it's David Gower here. Uh, yes, it's me. Look, it's it's slightly embarrassing, but look, Mark and Miles, they've they've forgotten the email address again. So look. If you've got any cricketing tales, stories, whatever it might be you want to send to them, please email them at middleplease at hotmail.com. And if that's too much, well, try Twitter or Instagram. It is time for our guest now. Uh, It's a man whose voice is uh, one of 
the voices I would say most associated with cricket coverage in this country and crucially I think one of the few members of the Test Match special team whose nickname rhymes with the surname of former Kent bowler Martin Saggers. It is of course Jonathan Agnew. I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketers Gin. Cricketers Gin is the perfect podcast partner, as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinkney's Green, Berkshire. Over a G&T, the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketers features milk thistle, wild marjoram and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. Cricketers, a small batch gin and a family-owned business. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders, and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Well, uh, welcome to Middle Please Empire. Uh, it's it's none other than Jonathan Agnew. Hello, Jonathan. Well, hello, good evening. It's lovely to be with you. Shall I introduce you immediately? to our latest edition here in Agnew Towers. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Okay, well, I mean, we lost we lost our dearly beloved Tino, who was also a king cocker spaniel in March. We've sort of umdenard and so on. Uh, we, we have got his son. But Emma found this litter of Springer Spaniels nearby. And all our dogs are named after cricketers. So we've had Klusner and Kirtley and Hoggard and God knows what else. And so she said, right, I've got a Springer. Who is the craziest most energetic and frankly the biggest pain in the ass in the England team at the moment because that is what a Springer Spaniel is going to be and I said straight well it's Woody <laughs> obviously obviously it's Woody so, so here he is here's, here's Woody and he'll be biting my fingers and goodness knows and chewing everything in the meantime it's rather cute isn't it look at that beautiful beautiful yeah he is he is beautiful I, I mean I'm, I'm honoured but his run up's very similar to yours he's got a bit of a bend as he, as he runs in at the moment um, but Matthew Hoggard was not very pleased because because Hoggard our Hoggard was a Pekingese mm. and Matthew likes big dogs as we know so when I saw him it's actually 2005 and I said Matthew just to let you know we've named our latest dog after you and he was very he was very pleased then until I arrived at Trent Bridge, that vital test match, you remember? Yeah. And I took Hoggard down to go meet Matthew. And his little fluff with a sort of you know, pugged-in nose. And Troy Cooley, the bowling coach, came up to me and said, mate, he said, tell me that's not Hoggard. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? So Ma- Ma- Matthew's, Matthew's been telling everyone that you've named your dog after him, and he thinks it's some big, some big thing. I said, yep, that's Hoggard. So Troy ran upstairs. You could hear this hilarity upstairs in the dressing room. He's obviously told Matthew, look at that thing down there with that pink collar on. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. That's, that's, that's Hoggard. So anyway, I introduced Hoggard to Hoggard. They had a very nice picture. Actually, it was in, it was in the Times newspaper. This was all looking at each other very intently. And of course, as we know, well, I think he passed on to batting tips, that cover drive that Matthew played, that won the game. So there you go. Oh, one of the great moments. It was a great moment, a very surprising moment. Let's you and me get this done. Is that what he said to Gilo? I think? Just a fantastic... Yeah, I think it's the only shot he's ever played. It was beautiful. Was it? It was a full toss, wasn't it? It was very full, but it was still Brett Lee bowling very quickly. I'm not suggesting it was easy. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not. No, no, no. It was a fight. It was a really fun shot, and it was just one of those. I mean, that was a, one of the great years, wasn't it? Great summers, wasn't it? Uh, one of, but that 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 moment, Hoggard hitting Brett Lee for four through the covers, uh, will 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 live for a long time. Mark Mark was. This is a terrifying fact. I always think Mark was a child when 2005 happened. The greatest year in cricketing history. How old were you in 2015? It was fantastic, though. I like I've set, that was I've still got that DVD. That was like the the one to get, and you know I watched that endlessly. Um, I'm just now watching, obviously Woody on the screen here, so well behaved, immaculate, <laughs> just like his namesake. He'll start biting in a minute, unfortunately. <laughs> but but I tell you what, the, the, the one bit, and I, it is great to watch the telly. But the two bits that I think radio won were the the winning wicket at Edgebaston because the noise that came out of the Hollywood stand, I, whenever I hear it now, and Jim Maxwell, the Australian, was commentating because we put him on. It's kind of a tradition on the Test Match Special that you put the, the winning commentator on. And we put him on because it's all over, it's gone. 
And he commentated brilliantly on England winning the match. <laughs> but the noise out of the Holly stand, I st- if you hear that, it still, it still knocks you over. It was incredible. And similarly, uh, the last ball at Old Trafford in the next game, you know, with Harmy running in, trying to get the wicket and so on. That was, again, this, the, it was, it's the first time, I think, in English cricket, we really had that sort of bear-like uh, sort of atmosphere. It was wild in there, you know, both at Edgebaston and at Old Trafford. And something changed that year. It, it just became much more of the of the way that cricket is 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 supported these days. I, I guess I think the best was um, from from my point of view on the radio was Stokesy's Nugget Headley. Oh yes, I enjoyed that. So that the the way that was captured on on radio, especially. So I've obviously we've seen the footage on Sky, uh, but I've also heard the footage from from BBC. Oh my god, amazing! Like the the crowd. I was actually, if you remember, at that Test match, I thought I'm never going to be invited back again. Because we were all out for like sixty, yes. I thought that's it. That's, they'll never invite me back. But <laughs> you know, for for that knock, it, it, like it's it's more like the, the crowd and the anticipation. Because obviously, you have to paint a picture, don't you, of what's going on? Yeah. And then you go wild, and you're like, "What? What's happened?" And then you can hear the crowd. You're like, "Yes, he's got another one." Oh, amazing! It, it is great when the crowd gets in, and you and you use the crowd in the commentary. There was there was one moment, and he, and he did. He he mishit to six. And it came towards us. It was sort of over long off, really. And you could tell that he knew he'd mishit it. You could hear he'd mishit it. And I remember just saying, it's, it's six or out, because there's a fielder there. And you could then leave it. You could leave it and just let the roar tell you it was six. You know, that was, you know, if you, if you use the crowd with the effects like that, it, it, it's still so, oh, I'm getting a bit tingly. It's, <laughs> it, you know, it's just, it, it, was, it was such a great day. It was, it was amazing. That's, that's such a beautiful aspect of it, I think. And also, the, for some reason, with radio, although often, like, if you're someone that works in radio, you're told, oh, imagine there's one person listening. There's a kind of intimacy uh, to it. And, of course, sometimes sometimes there is. But, you know, that's the, <laughs> as a sort of technical point of view. But when you hear about people, you know, listening to... Uh, or following sort of famous victories, th- those anecdotes always seem to involve like a bunch of people crowded round a radio. You know, that's, oh, we were away, we were working something, and, oh, we just came back from a walking holiday, and, uh, you know, we turned on the radio in the car, and we all crowded around the car. And there's something particularly beautiful about that, of people together trying to conjure up an image. And as you say, with the noise of the crowd adding to that and painting that picture, because you can sometimes, if it's... Like, when I first started listening to Tesla Special, that would have been in an India tour, 93? Yep. And I remember there'd be the noise would be so much that you would know something had happened. All you would know was that an England wicket had fallen, for instance. I mean, that's pretty much what happened solidly for for three games. But there was it was that some and and you would have to wait for the noise to get to a point. Even though you all would have had microphones right in front of your mouths, you would have to wait for it to subside to a level whereby you could explain what's happened. By which time you'd think, yeah. right, well, he's nearly back to the pavilion now, but Gooch was stumped, uh, you know, some some minutes ago. It was just be- just a beautiful thing. Well, that's why I, 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 it's a bit controversial. But I, I you know, John Arlott was was the, the you know such a, an amazing commentator, beautiful poet, wordsmith, and everything else, incredible voice. But the one thing that I really think that he got wrong was Dob Bradman's final innings at the Oval when he was bowled by Holly's second ball for naught. And all John said twice was Bradman bowled Holly's naught. And then just didn't say anything else. So, so you could just hear the noise of Bradman walking off, and he's shouting, "What's going on, John? You know, who, what, who, who what's, what's Bradman doing? I mean, is he waving his bat? Is he dragging it along the ground? What? It was really odd. It was a strange decision to make, and we all make mistakes, crikey! But you know, Don Bradman out second ball for naught. He didn't get his average of a hundred. It's his last innings in Test cricket. He's walking off the oval, and John just. Watched him. <laughs> that was it. Was very odd. Very odd. He could have been in shock, though, couldn't he? It's not. Although the job is to not be in shock. Yeah. The job is to be calm. Your job is to communicate. At the same time, there are the you know, remember like Murray Walker commentating on um, Damon Hill winning for the first time the F one Championship, and you just realised this this man can do everything in this game, but he can't. He's just. He says, "I have to stop talking," and that's that's right. kind of amazing. Yeah. And I think that is that that is the, yeah. the the power of it. I mean, you will have had moments where. You've, you know, you just thought, how, how do I explain what's going on? If you're, for instance, at Lords, the day that, in fact, I uh, saw you that day, but the day, the day that, um, you know, that Joffre Archer hit Steve Smith. I mean, you've got, you've got a lot of decisions to make in a very short space of time. There, what I mean, how, what goes through your mind before you speak, or do you just, do you just listen to yourself speak? Oh no, with something like that, I mean, you are commentating as it's happening. So, you, you, if, if you're 
lucky, although not in Smith's case in that point, but you do get the crack of the ball on the helmet. So you, you, you people listening will know something rather nasty has happened, but you've just got to describe it. And usually with a moment like that sort of thing, actually the crowd is quite quiet because it goes, oh, no, that's not, something bad's happened here. So actually then, yeah, you, you've got to talk over it. But, but talking over something like Ben hitting those winning runs, as, as Woody was saying there at Headingley, there's, there's almost no point in saying it. I mean, Alistair Cook actually said that's the greatest innings ever played by an Englishman. He always had to just sort of let it go, really. You know, it was a great line from Alistair. He delivered it at just the right time. He wasn't talking over anybody, but he said it quite early in the piece. But it was, you know, it was one of the great lines. You know, the greatest innings ever played by an Englishman. Wow, that's a big comment, you know, especially from someone like Alistair Cook. Uh, yeah. you know, but it, but it, but it, but but it almost certainly was. But also, you're you're right in that moment to let to let that go. I mean, in a moment yes. of absolute sweet, beautiful victory, he says something like that. It's perfect. You need some someone has to say something. You know, like like when NASA's going, oh, here he is. His name is Benjamin Stokes, and those sorts of things. You need something that someone just needs to sort of nail something uh, to the door at that moment. And that would not have been the moment to go. Well, I don't know about that, Alistair. I mean, it was good, but of course, I mean, you know, <laughs> you should have seen Hutton's three six four or whatever. That's, <laughs> well, like, yeah. you've, you've got to walk away sometimes. Yes, you do, and, and and you try not to use the word great, for instance, too often. Yeah, be, I think you can still have a great innings, whatever. You know, it can be a great innings in all sorts of circumstances. I mean, Kevin Peterson had a great innings uh, to 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 win in in, um, in Bombay in Mumbai that time. You know, there are all sorts of great innings, um, but it's a word that's used quite a lot. Um, you know, what is what is spell? That Lucia was a great spell. You know, it, it, it's, so you know, again, you can you you can. You, you can use the word, but it is it is quite it is quite overused these days. I think you've got to you've got to if, you, if everything is great. And there's a bit of a temptation, I think, in 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 sports coverage at the moment that everything's great and wonderful. And actually, I haven't had the ball bowled yet. Uh, you know, let's, let's be a bit more a bit more analytical about things and say, well, this is the issues and this is what's going to happen here. And yeah, I, it's it's not it's not putting cold water on it, but I think you just do need a bit of context because if everything's great. Then it kind of all just got, sort of gets mired in the same level, doesn't it? I think it's one of the things that must be difficult for sort of almost all cultural commentators as well is the fact that pretty much, you know, if your job is a theatre critic or a comedy reviewer or whatever, you know, most things, most nearly everything is fine, and that is that is that is the absolute fact of it. And you've got to find eight thousand. Fine doesn't sound very good though. But it's the, but that's what most things are. That's why a three star review exists. Most the the average is fine, and you've got to yeah. think. I can't write down the one thing I can't go. Well, it's fine. Yes, I went to see it today. It's about ninety eight <laughs> minutes long. Absolutely fine. But, but that's, fine, that's... fine, fine, fine is like is like describing a comedian or an afternoon speaker uh, as as amusing. I mean, it's not it's not it's not a great word, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an amusing speech from Miles Jump. You think? Oh no, that's gosh, I wouldn't have wanted to be there. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, I guess <laughs> <laughs> you've obviously you've got like a obviously an iconic voice. Have you ever been recognised just by your voice? Well, it happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's odd because um, yeah, it happens. Yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, taxi drivers mainly in London. Obviously, they listen a lot. I remember <laughs> in Australia. So obviously, when we're on in in these countries, I, I broadcast on their local radio too. So uh, when we lost the Ashes in, uh, or I think it might have been the Flintoff one. But anyway, I ordered a taxi. It was the first day of the, of the box of the Boxing Day Test, which even though we had already lost. It's still brilliant. And I got out of the hotel, hailed a taxi, jumped into it. And all I said to this Australian taxi driver was MCG. And he looked at me and said, geez, mate, I've been listening. Oh, I know you, mate. I've been listening to you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're Aggers, aren't you? You're Aggers. And I said, well, yes, I am. That's not bad, is it? Oh, I said it with MCG. He said, mate, he said, you're much less handsome than you sound on the radio. Which I thought was actually a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good sledge to Manozzi. Um, but no, it, 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 it does happen a lot. But I think people are, people are a bit surprised when they see you. I mean, people people think I'm actually, for some reason, quite short. Um, I get the opposite. I get the opposite. Well, you're a lot shorter than you look on the TV. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I get, oh, you're a lot you're a lot taller than you sound on the radio. You think, how does that work? How does that actually work? Didn't you? You worked with Richie Benno, didn't you? Speaking of Aussies. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and what was he like? Richie was amazing because he was a man with very few words. And he was very dry. And he chose those words so carefully. I mean, I, I was very lucky to work with Richie. And it happened when in 19, 1999, we're going back now, aren't we? Uh, when the BBC lost the rights for the test matches, we still had the World Cup to do. And 
all the commentators, television commentators, jumped ship from the BBC. They went to Sky Channel 4 who got the right. So there was no one left, no one left on the BBC to do it. And my boss phoned me up with about a week to go and said, uh, Jonathan, I've got some great news for you. You're going to be uh, presenting BBC television's coverage of the World Cup. And I said, I'm, I said, I'm not. I'm a, ra- I'm a radio man. He said, no, 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 don't worry. So we'll, 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 we'll send you for training. He said, don't worry about that. So they did. They sent me to Elstree Studios for a day with Peter Purvis, who probably means nothing to you, Woody. But, but he, he, held, he holds that sort of special special place in mine and Miles's life. Was he the one who climbed Nelson's column? Was that Peter Purvis? No, that was John Noakes, I think. Uh, Peter, Peter was a sort of a, a, a cuddly chap. Uh, who did present Blue Peter at the same time? I, m- I might be, I might be slightly younger than you think, Jonathan. Because that's what people say to me. Oh, you're you're younger than you sound. Oh, really? Yeah, is what they say to me. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, he, he, <gasps> he didn't know much about cricket, but um, but he, he he did teach you a bit. But I, it's about timings, and again, you know this. I mean, it's all about time. And on the radio, you have got a stopwatch, so you can click your stopwatch. You can talk to a certain time. You know, fifty-three seconds, one minute, sixteen, whatever it is to hit pips or whatever. But on the telly, it's that it's that voice in your ear, isn't it? And I knew I was going to struggle with that. And the first time I did it, I handed back, I said goodbye, and I missed the out by about a second. And I was with Richie. He waited a moment. He said, that didn't go very well, Jonathan, did it? I said, no, Richie, I've got six weeks of this. And he said, well, it's no problem. He said, all you got to do from now on is, I mean, how long do you want to say goodbye? I said, seven seconds. He said, fine. So ask me a question when the count starts, top of the minute, and I'll talk to eight. I said, what, are you serious? And he said, uh, yeah, absolutely. So the next day, I think it was West Indies, Pakistan, and the count starts 60. 59, 58, where he got to say goodbye. I said to Richie, well, great innings there from Inzabam, Rich. And he, he talked to eight. <laughs> so I looked at him. I said, well, thank you, Richie. That's terrific. Looked at the camera. There we go. Good win today for Pakistan. Great innings from Inzabam. Tomorrow, Richie and I are off to Old Trafford. It's England, New Zealand. We're on air at 10.30. See you then. Good night. Bang. And I did that for six weeks. And the BBC thought I was brilliant. <laughs> 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 it was all down to Richie, all down to Richie, who was just so disciplined and who just chose his words so carefully. Because I've I've watched, and it's available on um, YouTube, so I'd recommend uh, listeners look for it. That thing when you're on grandstand and you've been set up by Brian Johnston, I think, and you're, oh, geez, you're trying to, yeah. and you are, I, I know what it's like to go into a, an absolute white, white sweat. Cold, cold sweat. That is fantastic. It's Fred Truman and yeah, it was Fred Truman and Jack Bannister who played an absolute blinder because I'd, I'd stitched Jonas up the match they, before. They were brilliant. They were brilliant. They, yeah. they, oh, they were absolutely. Well, we still don't know if Fred actually knew it was a wind up or not, but uh, but Jack certainly did because we had this earpiece in it, and I, I thought I was doing a, a piece live into grandstand. Uh, talking about uh, no no English fast bowlers or something like that, something ridiculous. It had been totally set up by Jonas. So I had this stupid earpiece in. I had Fred Truman had a massive cigar on, so smoke blowing across the screen. <laughs> and Jack, Jack had an earpiece. So the point being, there's one brilliant piece in it where I've got the director screaming in my ear, just yelling, and Jack can hear it. And as soon as the director stops yelling, Jack stops talking. So I've not heard a word of what Jack said. I'm just thinking, what, um, yeah, what am I doing? And, and it was one of those, but half, halfway through, halfway through, I thought this has got to, this has got to be a stitch up. This has got to be, but you can't risk it, can you? You can't risk it. So he plowed, plowed on. And in the end, I handed back. I was, oh my God. And, and John, I heard this in my ear, John Lisson. I think the long nosed veteran commentators got his revenge, he said. And that was it. Mm-hmm. I was just wet through. But <laughs> those are the days. I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm, not sure you, I'm not sure you do it these days. But that BBC outside broadcast crew gave up their entire tea break to allow John to stitch me up. It isn't bad, is it? <laughs> I think all commentary anecdotes should end with the words, when, of course, at the end, I was absolutely wet through. (laughs) (laughs) As many do. (laughs) How how often, I mean, now you've been doing what you do for so so long. Obviously, there's lots of people that just know you, I suppose, for for the broadcast work, but how often do you yourself find yourself thinking about your days as a professional cricketer? Because you're one of those, you know, to people like me, elite few of people able to make your living as a professional cricketer as a professional cricketer. And how often do you find yourself thinking about, about those days? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a second career, you know, and, and a real issue, especially amongst people of, of my generation and before that, was that really, unless you got lucky, um, or had been to university perhaps, you know, you came out of cricket at 34, 35, 36, without a great deal of money behind you. You relied on a benefit, which wasn't very much in those days. And that was it. And so there's a lot of my colleagues from my time who've, We've had a tough time, uh, and I've just been lucky to be able to to get into this. 
And I do think about it. I mean, I, I'm always, you know, I love talking bowling with the current bowlers. I had a brilliant road trip with Steve Finn in New Zealand, who's working with us. And so we had a full wobble scene conversation as we drove from Auckland to Wanganui or something, you know. And by the end of it, I'm thinking, what's a cricket ball? I want to give it a go. I want to give it a go. Because, you know, bowlers, all, you know, you're all doing things with your fingers all the time. Every time you've got a ball in your hand. But I wanted to get out and, and get out and try it. Um, but I just love, you know, Jimmy Anderson. Just talk to Jimmy about, about you know, what, what he does. Because, you know, I was, in terms of my bowling, I guess I was a very, you know, I was a poor man's Jimmy Anderson. I mean, you're talking skinned. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I tried to do what he's perfected, really. I was a bit taller. Uh, and obviously a bit quicker. Really, you don't you don't sound tall. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't I haven't told I haven't told him that yet. Um, but you know, <laughs> but you know, I used to try to swing a ball away. But but whereas Jimmy's got you know Plan A, B, C, D. Uh, I'd had a Plan A really. Uh, but I just love I love talking cricket with 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 the current bunch. You know because that, that's great. And the game the game is different in lots of ways. But then in lots of ways, it's completely the same. And it's still that usually decent people uh, playing a fantastic sport, which actually has branched out in all sorts of new directions, of course, you know, recently. Um, but it's still, it's still basically the same. You run up, you bowl a ball, and, and you try to do the same sort of things with it. And, yeah, it's, it'll, always, it'll always evolve. But I'm happier to for people really to... I mean, my, my figures, you know, that's an absolute disgrace. I mean, you know, <laughs> my, 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 my test figures, they've been... It's, a, it's actually, I've got to have the editor of Reasons. He's printed them the wrong way around. And clearly, it was obvious that, my, that, that what he's printed as my bowling average is actually my batting average and, and vice versa because no one could average 93 with the ball in test cricket and, and 10 with the bat, could they? I mean, it's obviously the other way around. But it keeps appearing, <laughs> it keeps appearing in wisdom. <laughs> That's embarrassing figures. You, uh, you dismissed, well, like Mike Selby, you got, you're someone that got Viv Richards out in a test match. That's, that's not nothing. Well, I, I got... I, I got a really good four. I mean, I got a brilliant four. I got Gordon Greenwich, Viv Richards, uh, Arjuna Ranatunga, and Aravinda de Silva. And then I nipped in for one day international crickets with, with Sunil Gavaskar, Dilip Benchaka. I, mean, I got good people out. But as Peter Willey, my captain, would always say, they come at Harrods prices, uh, Aggers and rather than Marks and Spencers. <laughs> yeah, because they did. Because I, I, I was an attacking bowler. I was an attacking bowler, which I did, as I said, try and swing the ball. Um, and this notion of sort of bowling these sort of dry spells that modern cricketers do really I mean we, we did we did book you know we did trouble maidens but because the games had to be quicker when I was playing there were three day games and so essentially they were more attacking you know they just were you had to get the games moving you know who hit it hardest or, or furthest when you played who, who was or, or someone nowadays you think if they had a modern bat who, who would you think well, I'd, I'd like to Stay away from them. Oh, uh, well, it had to be Viv, wouldn't it? In my in my day, Viv Richards. It just have to be because Viv, you know, Viv again, like like the really great players, kind of ahead of their times, aren't they? And Viv, in a way, played a lot like. Oh, I should have done the other way around. Kevin Peterson actually played a lot like Viv. And, and and dare I say it, it's a bit sacrilegious for my generation, but but Kevin, I think, played it better because that ball that was that he'd work through through mid wicket. The flamingo. Yeah, well, well, not quite the flamingo. No, it's more controlled. No, the flamingo is the big bush. But no, the, the, the more, more the milking shot that, that Viv played. So as, 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 as a bowler, Woody would know, middle and off, you know, even off stump. And, and in Kevin's case, a, a, a good length. I mean, Viv usually was, was probably a bit fuller, but a good length because Kevin had really great footwork and tall. Boom, it goes through mid-wicket. So you think, oh, blimey, okay. So you bowl a foot outside the off stump and wash, it goes through the covers. It's, it's, it destroys your line. Mm. And Viv was the first, really, that did that. I think. You know, I mean, all good players, middle leg, middle stump. You know, that's you know, they'll work that away. But when you're talking off stump, and especially I say in Kevin's case, a good length off stump, he could just get so tall, couldn't he? And bang, and hit that through mid wicket. Yeah, where do you go? What about you, Woody? Who, who have you feared the most as a, from a bowling point of view? Um, Don't mention anyone currently playing, obviously. Don't want to sort of weaken your armoury. No, no, I think I, w- I will mention current players. I think Kane Williamson's very difficult to bowl at. Um, all the, the top, Steve Smith's very difficult to bowl at in terms of the way that he plays. I think I've been hit off. He must be the hardest, isn't he? Yeah, um, there's, there's a few. Smith's all over the place. All the great players in the modern era are, are not easy to bowl. Even someone like a Warner, in one day cricket, especially, I find you know it gives you a chance, but he plays this uh, two different shots to the same ball, 
which could be quite difficult. I, th- um, I think Williamson in particular, I feel like because he plays the ball so late and that run down to third man, that's actually a good ball as a bowler. And you think, well, then you end up bowling it wide and it's a waste of energy because he just leaves it. And then you come straight and he tucks you. So your actual best ball, the one that he sort of defends and it goes for four, you think, oh, well, right, I need to be maybe a little bit fuller so he can't just run it down. And then he'll punch you for four to the course. You think, right, well, I can't be full or shit. So I'll go a little bit wider. Then he leaves it. You think, well, that was an absolute waste of energy. So I'll try and come straighter. And then he clips it. So great players, Smith's awkward, real awkward, the bowler, for the same reason that Aga said you could bowl fourth stump and it almost goes through mid-wicket mid-on. In terms of intimidation, Chris Gale plays a massive guy oh, yeah. and you know, you know, could could hit the ball 360, but not without playing scoop shots. He sort of just he can pick it up over five leg or he can smash it. Um, so that's that's intimidating. There's, there's different players like that's why I mentioned with the modern back to Agas, you know, we train, you know, hard now for different skills. It'd be interesting to see how Agas would have trained, like going in, obviously he was a big swing bowler. So did he practice his swing? Was he, were he thinking about, oh, Viv would hit it through here, so I've got to get it right in training? Or what was your sort of training like? I'll be honest, we did very little, Mark, because we, we did the pre-season, um, which was little more than a few indoor nets and a, a bit of, you know, PT, you would call it in those, I suppose. And then you bowl indoor nets, but you'd just be playing all the time. You know, you, you really were. And, and you, you might have three championship matches on the bounce. There'd be a couple of Sunday leagues in there as well. And then you'd you'd have you know one match off perhaps at home, but and the travelling was was ridiculous. So you you could finish a three day game in Headingley on a on a Friday night. It might be the second game on the bounce that you've played, and Saturday morning you lose a toss in your fielding at Canterbury. You know it, it was it was different. Yeah, you know, I mean I think I think we were bowl, we were bowling fit, but we're not nearly as fit as you blokes. We had no idea about nutrition or or, or the sort of tests that you fell I mean you're, you're miles fitter than we are so do you think though that you almost bowl at 70% then oh often because you're playing that much that obviously to, to have that break would have done your body a world of good surely yeah I promise you we, as a fast bowler you're rarely 100% fit and we didn't have the scans so it was probably just as well because <laughs> you, you know you wouldn't you, you had to play I mean funnily enough it was quite a big moment for me because when I when I played for England, I was I was I was trying to be a fast bowler and I got it down at a reasonable pace, not like yours, but it's a reasonable pace. And then we played against Somerset in about eighty six or eighty seven, about there. So just after I'd finished with tests, and I had a bit of a niggle, a bit of a side, and I said to Peter Willie, I'm, "I'm really not fit to play." He said, "We got we got no one else. So you're going to have to play." He said, "Bowl off, just bowl off fifteen paces, and just there's a bit of a breeze, just pitch it up and swing it." Well, I got I got six for <laughs> just swinging it, and it did. It, the breeze was right, and it's you know, hey, it just happened, you know. And so that was, a, and and I just thought well, that's that's sort of the way to go because you're not you're not busting yourself, mm. you haven't got to, you know, you're not you're not putting your body on the line. It was like you, you're tearing in and bowling like that. So I thought, right. So from then on, I just bowled off about fifteen the Sunday league run, as it was in those days, shorter run. We used to play on it on Sundays pitched the ball up and, and, and swung it around a bit and, and it's much easier life I didn't break down so much the, the way you guys have got it now the four days and then you can, you can plan fielding your your fielding practices are just incredible we didn't really do fielding practice we have a few knock-ups at the end of the at the end of a net you know and you get a decent bat you get a proper bat don't you I mean I used to get sort of David Gower bowling at me at utter filth <laughs> and the next the next day we're, the next day we're playing Sylvester Clark <laughs> Gower's <laughs> absolute garbage, you know. That would be it, and, you, and you'd be grateful for it. So you know, it, it, it's all it's all grown up. It's 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 so much more, you know. It, it's so much more professional now. You know, we thought we were professional, and and we were for our time. Now it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible, really, the way you guys work and train and practice and so on. It's brilliant. How do you think someone like Woody would have fitted in if, you know, with the benefit of a of a time machine? How would someone like Woody have fitted into the 1980s Leicestershire dressing room in terms of the characters in there? I think absolutely brilliantly. I think brilliant. I mean, he and Peter Willey would have been interesting. I mean, there'd be two people who couldn't <laughs> understand. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're both absolute wildcard jokers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's also true. Um, but no, the, the, the accent would be good. No, of course he would. And I think, we're, I think actually what Mark would like, and it's the one thing where I think we were really lucky, 
when I was playing. I still have this out with Stuart Broad, who, who a good mate of mine, lives up the road from me. But is it, is that bit where at least on one evening of every game you would go and meet up with the opposition, usually in the pub, and you'd talk. And Stuart would say, "Yeah, but you're always getting pissed." No, 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 no. I I, I didn't drink in those days. I'd go and then have a coke. But I'd 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 sit there and talk to Richard Hadley about bowling, or Malcolm Marshall about bowling, or someone he'd had a row with on the field. You know, come on, sort it out, you two. You know, silly so and so's. You know, yeah, oh, okay, then on you go. And you, it it was brilliant because it was real camaraderie. You learned a hell of a lot. And when he reported back the next morning, it was daggers drawn again. I le- I learned so much, especially from, when Hadley, because we played not so often. And again, because Hadley was someone who I wanted to bowl like, you know, to, to sit and just have an hour with him. And I remember we played, we were playing knots at Grace Road one time and I was I was still a young lad and I was sort of marking a run up out. And, and he, he walked out, you know, he, he, he was he was our opponent's overseas overseas player, you know. And um, and he came up and said, oh, yeah, man, how's it going? I said, oh, it's all right. I just got trouble with no balls. I'm really getting it. He said, oh, well, okay, so what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just putting it back a bit. He said, no, no, no. He said, put, put your marker forward. Put your marker forward and all will be well. You'll be relaxed. You're running with little shorter steps and just try it and you'll be fine. And off we went to the nets. <laughs> and he just passed on an absolute golden tip to the opposition's fast bowler, you know. And he was. He was absolutely right. So um, things like that. You know, there was it was... It was just, it was a good, it was a good spirit and it would still be hammer and tongs on the field. Absolutely hammer and tongs on the field. What's your favourite moment as a player, Agus? Oh, crikey, that's a, ah, okay, that was an interesting one. Favourite moment as a player? Obviously, it must, I mean, it must have been great realising you could get the same results putting in half the amount of steps into your run-up. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a key moment. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, I think, uh, you know, you, you, you have sort of landmark stages as you, as you go through, don't you, when you're, when you're climbing the ladder. Um, and so for me, I think the biggest breakthrough for me came actually with the fourth ball of my career. When uh, I was 18, I'd just come straight out of school. There was an injury crisis. Uh, Railingworth was my captain, who had been in the, just a hero of mine. Um, and I opened the bowling for Leicestershire against Lancashire, who again had just been, Lancashire was my team, you know, who I supported. And I bowled Bumble fourth ball. And that was kind of, it was, it was a big moment because it was, it, it, yeah, he was a decent player, and um, and it just swung and, and knocked his middle pole out, and 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 so I think someone someone like me, who you know, and I look at someone like the people like Ben Stokes or Sam Curran or people who just seem to you know, walk into international cricket and so on. For someone like me, it was having to try and prove yourself and prove to yourself every time. So getting your first championship wicket getting your first test wicket and 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 so on i think all those are sort of little landmark landmark moments getting viv out you know in a test match at the, 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 uh, the oval in front of all those west indian there's a massive crowd i think walking off at the end of that game uh and after a quick check uh I, that i was still actually entire uh was quite a <laughs> it's quite it's quite a big moment uh marshall <laughs> Marshall, Holding, Garner, the rest of them. It wasn't very nice. It was a very quick pitch. And I, I, it was a funny moment because in, in those days, we look back at some of the old highlights, would you? you'll, you'll, you'll see it. The crowd used to run on the field. I mean, it was, it was bizarre looking back. And the players would literally run for their lives. So this was my first test. Richard Ellison was the last man out. I was at the non-striker's end. And I said, the fell. He sort of fed off his nose off Joel into the gully. And I thought, oh, that's all over. That's a kind of, so quick check. Yep, you're okay. Everything's still there. <laughs> and by the time I, I started walking off, it was, there was, I was just surrounded. They stole all my kit. So there's my bat, gloves, helmet, everything just went. They tried to get my job. I mean, I got to the, I got to the dressing room. The steward thought I was a streaker. <laughs> and I just nothing, nothing left. And it was all, it was all found, all found dumped down the Harleyford Road. There was all my kit that was worth it. <laughs> but that was, that was sort of wandering off. In a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a, you know, a bit of a dozy, a dozy trance when everyone else had, had, had run for their lives. I just remember, remember the noise and the clanking of the, do you go to those games, Miles? The cans going and the whistles and the, I mean, it was fantastic atmosphere. Well, I, I used to go to the Oval in the 90s, say, and so there would be these fantastically brilliant crowds if we were playing sort of Pakistan or playing yes. India up in the West. It's always just a great crowd. But part of the greatness was that thing at the end, which was just going out and standing 
on, you know, you could, if you ran straight to the bottom of the pavilion, maybe you get a sort of pat, I don't know, Keith Arthurton or someone on the shoulder as they made it off or that sort of thing. And then, and then you would gather under the pavilion for the, because in those days, the presentation was done for the benefit of people at the game. When I saw the 2005 Ashes one, uh, they set up the hoarding entirely for the benefit of the cameras. I was there and I couldn't see, I didn't see the moment when Vaughan lifted the urn because they, they put it up the wrong way. But in those days, you could sit underneath and, Basically, people, Sky hadn't been around for long, so there'd always be some beard-up lads um, being really rude to Charles Colville, who always took it fairly yeah. fairly well. Yeah. <laughs> and that was yes. that was sort of part of every test match you went to. But the EV there on the last day, whatever happened, it was great. You'd stand out there and look up. Brilliant. I guess, you know, again, times have changed. And you couldn't have people running on. I mean, it was amazing, really. I mean, I remember boycott running off at the end of a day or match or something. It was literally, he was literally swinging his bat. <laughs> As you ran off, I mean, he was using it, you know, or prepared to use it as a weapon to sort of keep people back. I mean, he played more shots running off than he played the entire day at the crease. <laughs> but anyone, anyone who'd, anyone who was running on, you know, they were going to get hit, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was bizarre, really. I used to like that thing, that county cricket thing, you know, tea intervals, lunch intervals. You could go and you could just sort of wander up, go and have a look at the pitch. You could sit on there, you know. Yes. You brought a bat and a ball with you, play. That was. I mean, there was that huge thing, a big build-up because the crowd were going to be allowed onto the field at Lords. I can't remember what test match it was two or three years ago, I suppose. And it was like, it was kind of a seismic event, you know, and on they came, they, pot, they potted about, you know, and then they were herded off again by the stewards quickly. But, you know, they were allowed on, onto the hallowed turf. But yeah, it was, it was I mean, my first match at Lords that I went as a kid to watch when I was, what, 11, I suppose, we sat on the grass. We sat on the grass and watched. There weren't the advertising hoardings. There wasn't that whole sponsorship thing. And we sat us over the boundary rope and tossed the ball back. and Almost no danger of anyone hitting a six. I mean, the whole thing would have been a lot more sort of gentle. Well, Clive Lloyd played rather well. This is the, this is the Gillette, oh, Cup, right. Gillette Cup final of 1971 was my first match. Yeah, I was 11 and Clive played, Clive played brilliantly. And I watched Peter Lever running in and bowling for Lancashire. And I said to my dad, that's, that's who I want to be. He was my utter and complete hero. And he's become a really good mate since. It's, it's, it's lovely when you meet your heroes and they... You know, they're everything you want them to be, isn't it? You know, it's it's, mm. it's 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 fantastic. And Peter, that's perfect. But he was, it was his action that I tried to copy and his run up. And he was a lovely, lovely, gentle soul, Peter. Have you uh, have you taken him out flying, Agus? Uh, no, I don't think Peter would necessarily want to do that. <laughs> He's living a quiet life down in down in Cornwall. I've taken a few of my commentary team. I haven't taken other players yet. That, that strikes me from an insurance point of view absolutely reckless <laughs> to take a current <laughs> current serving playing member. Yeah, I mean, some old commentator, so. you know, fine. Uh, Ali, <laughs> Ali Mitchell's been a couple of times. But I always, I always, I, I do it when I go, I mean, I've been flying now since, uh, what, 2006 or so. So quite a long time. I've got about 500 hours now, I suppose. But it's just my hobby, you know, and um, particularly overseas. You know, we go to some brilliant places. And to be able to go up, like in New Zealand last time, you know, like last two we did, I suppose. And I flew quite a lot there. You go with an instructor and you really see the country. You, know, you really get the most beautiful views. And, you, and here, I, go, I tend to go to Skeggy with the dogs and do, it's half an hour from Nottingham with the aeroplane. So where was the best, I guess? Where was the best place you've flown? Oh, New Zealand, I think, is, was amazing. Going up to the, up to the top of the Bay of Islands. Oh, great. All around there. With, with a very, had a very strange instructor, a chap called Rusty. And I sort of realized it was a bit odd because we were in this airplane. I'd never flown one of these before. It was like a diesel one. It had just like a sort of a, a joystick rather than I've got a normal, you know, yoke. And we took off. He said, I'll just try to fly this thing, mate. And we took off. And he did a touch and go on a beach as we went up, which is unusual. So he'd so he land and take off again off this beach. Well, that's a bit strange. So we got back to it. We were at Wanganui, actually. And uh, I was flying it, but now and I landed it. And he said, oh, that's great. He said, take it up again. So we just took it up once more. We got to about 2,000 feet. And he said, uh, right, you reckon you can land this thing, don't you? I said, well, yeah, I think so. So he leant over, turned the keys off, turned the engine off. Said, he said, now land the bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you, you, you sort of practice for that sort of thing, you know, uh, occurring, but not when the engine actually off. And so, so bloody hell. I don't think I've ever concentrated on anything. Mate, I thought facing Marshall Garner, and that was bad, but that, that's 10 names worse. No, you can, yeah, no, that was bad. There was the propeller just like rock solid in front of you like that. Anyway, well, we got it down, but, uh, but no, that flying around New Zealand is just, um, it's beautiful. Australia, South Africa, you know, all these places. So it's a nice thing. When you pack up with your golf clubs, Woody and off you go, I'll be heading off to the local airfield. Brilliant. Do you think life's been pretty good to you then, Agus? If it gets to the point when you, you fancy taking the dogs for a walk, you think, oh, I know, we'll, we'll just, 
I'll fly them to Skegness for a walk. Do you, do, you allow, do you allow yourself a moment to think, this has been all right, actually, hasn't it? Oh, no, of course it has. And, and to have, you know, to have been involved in cricket for so long, and I am very lucky to be working, you know, as I do as a broadcaster, because I can talk to people like Mark Wood or Stuart Broad, or, you know, when you work for a newspaper, as I started off, you know, we were a tabloid newspaper, there was no way anything like that sort of relationship. But, but you know, we do get the chance. You know, I interview people, players, you know, one-to-one. And even though they're much younger now than I am, uh, you know, you can strike a bit of a relationship with them. Um, and I interviewed Joe Root about three times a week when the summer's going. I think he's developed the back teeth of me. But I'm actually really good friends with his parents. But no, Miles, you're right. It's to, to be involved in a sport that you love and to still connect with the the current generation because you have an opportunity to and talk the game through you know I, I, I think that's, that's that's what I like about it most to sit at a hotel bar on a tour somewhere uh, if I'm staying in the same hotel as the players and occasionally I do and occasionally I don't I kind of come and go a bit but just to have a chat about the game that's you know, that's you couldn't get much better than that, could you? It's dreamy. Well, as you know, as you know, I tried, and uh, there were good, good days and bad days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know you were you were conning us there, you old, uh, you old so and so. What's interesting though, is, is I'd love to know what Woody thinks of us. So you know, the 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 sixty one year old in the commentary box, uh, commentating on your generation and how and how out of touch you think we might be. No, I don't think that at all. I actually think um, I have a huge respect for yourself and the, and the other members of the TMS. I, I love this, the TMS. I think to be able to paint a picture to people when actually there's no nothing, you know, the, to show on the screen, um, I think is a fantastic skill. Um, I loved when I've done, you know, the odd day with you. Like I say, I think it's like a bit iconic actually. So, for me, I've, I've always enjoyed it, I think. But what about our understanding of the game, though? No, I think it's brilliant. Do you think we do get the modern game? I do, I do. Okay, that's well, that's, that's encouraging. <laughs> okay. But I, th- I think, you know, sometimes, you know, the, 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 the thing that players sometimes find hard is, you know, if, if they get criticised for something, they think, oh, you don't understand. But actually, sometimes, I think it's not what they want to hear. It's the, it's the truth that people can see and say, look, they've played the game or they can give a judgment and say, look, this is what it is. But you don't want to hear it because you know, actually, it's probably true. Yeah. The best thing, I think, is when someone like yourself, you can be critical on things, but also if they do well, you can say you did well. I think that fairness of, you know, criticism, yeah. but also praise is, is the is the key, really. Yeah, yeah you're right. Hey, well, that's a ringing, a ringing endorsement, I guess. I don't think you could have got a nicer answer than that. That's fantastic. Well, I think, I think it's only worked with me once, so it's all right. <laughs> I must have. I must have had a good day. <laughs> but it is right. But it is, it is. You know, being being critical, and that's why I made the point a bit about being a broadcaster as opposed to the writers, the tabloid writers. You know, they 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 they've got to be much more fearsome, maybe than than we do, because we can couch criticism. Hopefully, with the experience of having played, and you've got the words and the time and the space to actually say, you know, yeah. On the one hand, look, he had that that problem there, but let's not forget. That this is going on at the same time, or you've got the balance of a commentary box, haven't you? You can, exactly, you can, yeah. you can be a good cop, bad cop. You could have you being very nice about people and Victor Marks absolutely haranguing them, uh, whatever <laughs> you know. However, however, it's put on the rotor for that week. I'd be surprised to hear that. <laughs> no, he is. I think he's a very. I I spoke at the Wisdom dinner one year, and I was incredibly lucky that next to me on the seating plan was Victor Marks. There is not a more helpful person to sit next to when you are absolutely i'm sure you can imagine how nerve-wracking that as a as a gig That's is as a, a cricket fan gig to take on you've got a room full of heroes a room full yeah. of some people who, have, who i have in the past irritated and then you've got all these you know you know these people but to sit next to victor and he's going hey, it'll be fine Pretty perfect nice. That is, I couldn't have asked for more. Um, Agus, I think it is time for you to play uh, Mark Wood's Super Over. Uh, are you ready for this? Ah, uh, guess. Ah, uh, guess. Yes. The crowd <laughs> want it. The crowd want. It. I can hear them. The crowd. The crowd want it. Um, I'm going to go on the on the stopwatch. Are they, are they sensible questions or are they are they ridiculous Mark Wood questions? Well, <laughs> they've been drafted by Mark Wood. Okay, we'll say no more. Yeah. <laughs> right, Agus, are you ready? Super over. Here we come go. Come on, come on, long run. Make of your first cricket bat. Slazenger. Most random celebrity in your phone. Lily Allen, but I think it's the wrong number. <laughs> Favourite sandwich filling. Marmite. Your club needs you. Would you rather score or umpire? Umpire, definitely. Name a song that's been stuck in your head recently. I want to wake up with you because I'm learning on the guitar. Nice. 
Uh, Mike Gatting's coming to dinner. What do you cook to impress him? A horse um, <laughs> and and a lot of Branston pickle. Uh, a footballer's name you'd shout while attempting a run out. Oh, see, I don't do football. Now you, this is your um, Lenny Glover. <laughs> 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 we, know, we know who Lenny Glover was. He done well. <laughs> Dixie Dean. Yeah. <laughs> Knocking nine doors. Knock knock ginger or knock and run. Knocking on doors. Knocking on doors. That, that's fine. I'll accept that. And finally, you come to the wicket. What guard are you asking the umpire for? Well, I often didn't bother, um, <laughs> but clearly because there was no point. Um, I used to take middle and leg, but I think for the sake of this podcast, Woody, which has been great fun. Middle stump, please, umpire. Yes, I guess. I knew you'd get there. Yes. Brilliant. Good lad. Miles, that, that was bang on 90 seconds, I think. That was bang on. That was extremely good. That is uh, obviously your, still some of your discipline left over from the TV section of your career. <laughs> there was no countdown, though. You were helped. You were helped by a sort of a Benno-esque uh, Mark Wood figure, there. <laughs> and of course, you've, what you've helpfully done there is say lots of things that can be spliced by the editor into various trails. Uh, repeatedly having Agus saying the phrase "I want to wake exactly. up with you," we can have that in response. <laughs> we can. That could be your answer to every question if we if we uh, <laughs> if the technology goes well. <laughs> Agus, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much indeed for joining uh, myself and Woody. Yes, thanks, Agus. You've been amazing. Good to catch up. Take care, you two. Good to talk to you. That was Jonathan Agnew, a.k.a. Agus. Thank you for listening. See you later. Ta-da. Bye-bye. Oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been. Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.